I've been saying this a lot lately, but praise team, Chris, thank you for leading us in the worship. The band, thank you always for what you do and how you lead us well. Um, I'm going to say this without breaking the mood too much because it's Easter and you got to stay focused. But I had a cup of coffee, so bear with me. Isn't it crazy? I, when I grow up, I want to be just like Chris. <laughs> he represents well for us bald folk. Y'all see that hat? Boy, looking like Anthony Hamilton up here. Look at it. And the Hamilton ones. Give it up for I'm just joking. All right. You know, they say that all NBA players want to be rappers and all rappers want to be NBA players. I think all preachers want to be singers and then all singers don't want to be preachers. But anyways, uh, if I could just sing, man, I got to go take Monica on nice days. I could sing. I wouldn't spend no money. I just keep singing. Um, let us pray together. Uh, let me say this real quick before I begin. This has been on my heart. If you're here and you're saying, man, I came to Easter, and you're like, you feel like, hey, man, this is my first time, or hey, you know what, I made an effort to be here on Easter, I don't want you feeling today like you, A, feel any out of place. We're just glad you came, okay? So don't, don't think like I'm only here, it's Easter, and everybody's going to look down on me. Nah, welcome, because you made the right decision. You made the right decision, and my prayer is not because I'm preaching, but the Word of God is going to do what it always does, is that God brought you here on this very day, on April 17th or 18th, 17th, because He wanted to talk to you, and He's not done talking to you yet. And the reason why you have the grace to be here this morning is because He still loves you, and He wants you to hear this beautiful gospel. And for those who have been at church, and this is just another day where you get to dress up, don't think this sermon excludes you either. I know you put on your bright colors, and I'm excited that you came, but don't think that we have ever, we can ever overlook the gospel. So my prayer is that when we contrast well today, that you will be excited about how we can contrast who we are and who Jesus is. Can we pray together? Dearly Father, I want to say thank you because you loved us first. And even when we were stuck in our trespasses, you still came and made a way for us to be free. Even when we had sin in our lives, and many of us, we all know, that, including myself, we still sin. You still have saved my grace abounds for you. It's crazy how much you love us. And I hate to say this, but sometimes it's crazy how, how sometimes how little we love you back. So my prayer, even for me today, this week has been busy. I know many of us have had an arduous week. We've had a long week. We're like, Pierre, I, I came. I'm trying to celebrate Jesus today. But in reality, I am struggling. I am tired. And I know that sometimes we can get lost in the holiday for many, for this world, but it's not a holiday for you. That we get to highlight you, and we should highlight you every Sunday. And I pray that you're, li you're proud of us, a living word, for highlighting this gospel. But today... Let the words flow so smoothly that they can't deny the beauty of the contrast. God, I just want to say I love you today. I pray that you guide every word out of my mouth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to start this off with a little controversy. I love Houston. I do. But then I hate Houston at the same time. And let me explain why. A, we have horrible weather. A, B, I think, my personal opinion, we have the worst pollen known to mankind. 
I do. That's my personal opinion. I haven't been anywhere else in the spring. I'll have, but they don't seem. How many of y'all walk out and know you're going to have to wash your car every other day? How many of you are like me and just say, I'm not going to wash the car? I'm going to let the whole spring pass, and then I'll wash it in the summer. Because there's no point in washing your car, because as soon as you finish washing it, what happens? It's covered up in that yellow, horrible thing called pollen. And there's two people in this world, and I ain't going to front, and I'm not going to lie, a little hatred comes out of this, so y'all have to forgive me. There's two people in this world that walk outside in the spring. One person walks out, and it's like, oh my gosh, it is such a beautiful day. They do, and they, they, they just enjoying the day. They prancing around, playing the dandelions and junk. My, some of my kids pick up dandelions, blow on them. Meanwhile, there's other people like myself that are like, <laughs> dying. And as soon as we walk outside, we're like, Lord, I can't wait to get back inside. But nah, I, I never got to enjoy outside. That's why I look the way I look. I, I never got a chance to enjoy the beauty of what everybody, when I slid in the grass, I got hives. All my other friends was dancing, rolling, going down the hill, and I had to look as they rolled. They got up saying, well, wasn't that fun? And I'm like, no, I'm still on the top of the hill. I can't roll or I'll get eczema. There's two types of people, some who are free to enjoy and some who are under the hypersensitivity to allergies. And for many of us in this sanctuary, you have two types of people. Or let me say, we have one type of person and then we have a Jesus. We have Jesus who is free of sin and any effects that sin has on it. And then we have us who are affected by all the sin we see all over our world. And we have a Jesus who saw that, watch what I'm fixing to say, and said, I see the fact that you can't enjoy the freedom that I can provide. And that he got to work and provided you some medicine. But we have people in the church, although they are free from, are still live in. They refuse to take their medication. They refuse to do their nasal rinses. They refuse to get their allergy shots, knowing that you're going to live in a sin that Jesus freed you from. Let me welcome you to a contrast. Is that we have a Jesus today that was perfect, but not perfect because he wanted to show you just how to live. He was perfect so he can show you how he can die. And when you turn to John, I mean, Romans chapter 5, verse 18, you're going to see me contrast Jesus versus us. Jesus versus Adam. Jesus versus what was brought into the world and a Jesus who lived in the world to save it. And watch what happens in verse 18. It says, so then as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation. Oh, this is one of my most beautiful points. One man's sin entered into transgression. One man sinned, meaning Adam. Adam was the one he's referring to, that we have Adam who came in this world, and I want to clear this out before we can all start the hatred for Adam and Eve, because I know what's coming. So before we even get to our hating type environment, let me clear the air before I talk about the transgression. We can blame Adam, and we can even try to blame Eve. But let me just give you my theory before I finish, because a lot of y'all are like, if I was in the garden, I wouldn't have sinned. How come, watch these words, y'all have all said it, how come I have to suffer for Adam and Eve's mistake? 
Some of y'all even get gender specific and then say, how come I have to suffer for whose mistake? Eve, especially when you're in an argument with somebody in your house. And you're like, I can see where Eve got it from, man. They out here trying to trick us. Let me lay this out here for you. Those who are saved in the sanctuary, before, like, I see the heads tilting. Before you were, everybody's like, you better explain this. <laughs> All of y'all that are saved in this sanctuary have the Holy Spirit, correct? That means you have a perfect God living inside of you. Amen? And then you have the free will to choose sin or not, even though you have the power over sin, correct? How many of y'all still choose sin? Use Adam. So while you blaming Eve and Adam, many of us are walking around saying, I would never, but you do it every single day. Why? Because you have the free will to see a tree, and many of us love that tree. And we see it, and it looks good to eat. And then Satan tells you, oh, this is a good fruit to eat. Many of us have dated, us, dated this bad fruit. Some of us have taken a full bite. We didn't even nibble. We was like, oh, <laughs> looks good to me. Some of us ain't who we dated. Some of us, is our, we choose our every attitude every single day. So don't come over here and talk about Adam and Eve and let's play the victim. There ain't no victimization today. We all was Adam and Eve. So yes, through one man's sin, did a transgression enter? Absolutely. But at the same time, I love my God because I'm not just going to give you the problem. I'm going to give you the solution. I'm not just going to tell you that, yeah, we all Adam and Eve, but I'm also going to give you what Jesus did about it because Jesus knew if it wasn't Adam, somebody else was going to make the mistake. And if you look throughout time, he already had Jesus planned out to come before they, he knew about Adam and Eve or he already knew what Adam and Eve would do. He already had the solution. But watch what happens. He says this word transgression. This word has to be dived into. It means that you have an offense against God. See, I want to, can we, for a second. Can we stop minimizing sin, please? Like your attitude problem, you say, hey, P, it was just a bad day. Absolutely, but it's still a sin problem. That cuss word you let slip, you're like, P, it was just angry. You're right, and God forgives you, and we love you. But at the end of the day, it is a sin problem. That means when God in his perfection looks at your sin problem, he's saying, it offends me. We had to stop saying I was a white lie, small lie, big lie, big sin, small sin. If you sin, guess what? You have offended God. And if you look at sin as an offense against the person you love, wouldn't you want to correct it? The problem with people is that we forget the person we're offending. And the reason why many of us, hear me out, I'm fixing to dance for a little bit. The reason why many of us are okay with sin because we only think we're affecting ourselves and the person we sin against. But if you love God, though. You'll be like, man, no, I hurt not only the person I sinned against, I hurt the God that I love as well. And if you love God so much, you'll be like, God, I don't want to transgress against you again. The word offense should make you offended. Why? Because you should be like, man, I can't believe I slid through all this week thinking that I shouldn't ask for forgiveness for a God that is offended by my sin. How many of us just slid through the week saying, God, forgive me? Don't even know what you're asking for. You can't even remember the last time you did something, but you're like, I don't know. Every night I got to ask for forgiveness. 
so I don't get struck down tomorrow. I don't want no tickets. Some of us use it as like a body check, right? We're like, I don't want no tickets tomorrow. So whatever I did yesterday, God, I don't want to get fired today. I need this job. But we have no idea what we've done because we don't take sin seriously. But if you did, if you realize the last time you went off on your wife or your husband, it was a sin. And it was a sin against God. Maybe you would be asking for forgiveness a lot sooner, but you'll be asking for God first. Second thing, the word condemnation or transgression also means that you had a guilty verdict. Hear me out. Guilty verdict means that you were guilty. You didn't have a way out. They were trying to plead your case. There was no case to be pled. You were out of there. You sat there and knew you was getting a five to ten sentence, or better yet, you was getting a life sentence to hell. And God is looking at you like, no, you deserve it. You offended the God of perfection. You don't deserve to have an innocent verdict but then. See, we're going to have a whole bunch of buts and even souls. And even so means even though you transgressed against me, even though you had a guilty verdict against me, then he gives you the contrast. And he says, watch this word. He says, and even though one transgression is there resulted in condemnation to all men, that means all of us have that. Tra- Nobody in here is perfect. Can we sidestep this for a sec? Can you let me just talk about all men for two seconds and I promise you I'll get to the good news? Can we stop acting like we're perfect? When you came out the womb, you were sinning. We were all in sin when we came out the womb. And what I'm trying to get y'all to understand is that if we all recognize that we have sin in us, maybe some of us would stop faking it so much. And you know the reason why some of us feel the need to fake it, especially when we walk in church? It's because we know somebody else is going to fake it as well. And we don't want to be the person that don't look good. So we all fake it together. But if everybody realized that it said all of us were sinners, then guess what? There's no need to fake it. Secondly, there's no reason to hide it. Why would you hide something God already knows you have, A? And why would you hide something in church if we all know we the same, B? So guess what you can feel free to do? No, you ain't perfect. But then you get the even so and the but and. And when you get in that argument, stop acting like you always right. We know, you, we know all of us have made mistakes. Stop trying to win an argument. Can we just get there for a second? This is just a dating 101. If you win... Somebody loses. But some of us don't want to admit that we're wrong, and even though we know we're manipulating, even though we know we're trying to get over on somebody, even though we know we're trying not to confess that we transgressed, we're just going to make excuses for it and justify it, and we just keep saying, oh, I, I didn't mean it like that. You know what you meant when you said it. Watch what it says. But then one act came. Watch this. One act of righteousness came. There's only one. You had a, there's only one, there's one transgressions, plural, but then only one act. Hear the difference. There's transgressions, plural, but then there's one act. You, you couldn't do it yourself. There's no other actions that you could do. That means there's no other act that can get you forgiven. There's no other act of righteousness that can make it better. There's only one God, one man who sent his son. But you have to understand what it says, this word, one act of righteousness. It says one transgression, that was Adam, who brought all the sin to all men. Let me correct. And then it says, but there was only one act of righteousness, and that act justified you. We talked about justification. You can go back in a couple sermons, and I want you to hear that. But justification means that you were acquitted of your guilty verdict. 
You see how he's tying these together? You see how Paul is tying this together to the church? So A, they recognize they need forgiveness, and B, they recognize who the forgiver is. So therefore, if you can tie in the contrast, guess what you'll start doing? You'll start worshiping Jesus because you recognize that you were the transgression, and now you have a forgiver who made it righteous by his only act. That means you couldn't do it yourself. Because guess what that means? Stop acting. You don't have to be self-righteous no more because there's no righteous act that you can do to earn it. And once we stop believing, like, hey, if I come to church on Easter and on Christmas, does that make it righteous? And God's looking at you like, no, because I'm the only one that can make you righteous. I'm the only one who can acquit you of your sin. I'm the only one who could take that away. You can't do that on your own. But doesn't that free you as well? Doesn't that make you feel free that there's nothing you can do that can earn it, but he also gives it? Doesn't that mean when you make a mistake, my God is looking at you like, I already knew you was going to make that mistake, but I still made you righteous anyways? Doesn't that make you feel good that even though you wake up in the morning, God is saying, I'm faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, that my loving kindness is brand new every morning? Doesn't that make you feel good? So how about we stop for a second and appreciate Jesus? Because the last time I checked, when you woke up this morning, that was loving kindness. And the only way he could give it to you was through righteousness. Here's the problem. If you don't start appreciating your forgiveness because of that one act, then Easter don't mean nothing. Easter is another opportunity for us to dress up, put on Easter colors because we love that favorite color. We know we can't wear it to work, and then we come to church. That's it. That's all Easter becomes is a day to dress up and pick up eggs, but we know that's not Easter. But how about we start having Easter every day we wake up? How about we saying, God, there's no way you died for me. You did this one act of righteousness to forgive me. But watch what the word justified. If, watch, you remove my guilty punishment, that that means I should stop guilting everyone else as well. Watch this for a second. I want you to get this one because that means I took away the condemnation in which you deserve. You had a guilty verdict. I died to take it away. Now, Ladies and gentlemen, this is my freeing part of the sermon. I want you to elevate yourself for a second. How many of us in this sanctuary, you don't have to raise your hand or walking around with guilt because of something you've done? Just last night, you're like, Pierre, you don't understand what I've done. And my God is saying, I erased the guilty verdict. You know what I found out about people? Is you know the reason why people struggle to be criticized? Because most of us in the sanctuary criticize ourselves enough. Some of us already know our imperfections. If you're not the perfecter, you're the one who always thinks your glass is half empty. You're the one that always thinks you're not good enough. You're the one that always loses value in yourself. And, my, and you're always the one that you're the one that guilt yourself into good acts, don't we? I'll speak for myself. I am the one who makes myself feel so guilty I'll do the right thing. But then Jesus had to free me from that because he said, Pierre, you don't guilt yourself into anything. I took the guilt away. So last week when you missed church and you came this week because you felt guilty, that ain't the reason why you're here today. The, the people that showed up on Monday because you're like, hey, you know what? I, I feel bad at what I did to my husband and my wife or my dating relationship, so I'm going to fix it because I feel guilty. And God's saying, you don't do actions because of do, you do, you're guilty. I took the guilt. How many of y'all in this sermon need to hear this for a second? You are no longer guilty. But you're not guilty not because of you just doing something to take it away. You didn't have probation is the best choice of words. Some of us walk around with our relationship with God like we're on probation. And if we make one more mistake, God's going to take us back to jail. Some of us are serving community service hours, aren't we? We serve Jesus because we feel bad about what we did. We come to church because we feel bad about our week. And God's like, no, come to church because you want to worship the one who did one righteous act. So love your wife because... you. 
you recognize that you're not doing it because you're guilty. You're, you're loving her because I'm the one that died on the cross for your sins. And when you start doing things not out of guilt but out of love, it frees you. But many of us feel trapped in Christianity because we're like, man, I'm living in guilt. And God's like, well, I quitted that. Ah, If you had allergies like myself, how many of y'all would take your meds? But let me explain the reason why some of us don't take our meds. And you know why I know? Because I have to do it. You know why I also know? Because I got three kids. One kid does not have allergies, but then that third one, that boy sounds just like me. <laughs> so every night, guess what I got to do? I got to go and spray that saline solution up his nose, and then he has to take that nasty old nasal spray. But with the first time he took that nasty nasal spray, guess what he said? Oh, no, Dad. Oh, oh that, one, that one nasty. And I used to tell my, and it's funny, it reminisced, and it was like deja vu. I used to tell my mom, I don't want to take that spray no more. So guess what I did? I would walk around all day sneezing rather than take the medication. I'd rather not swallow a pill than take the medication. And guess what I'm fixing to tell you? Just take your medication. Just accept the fact that you are forgiven. You don't have to walk around sneezing no more. You don't have to walk around saying, man, God don't love me. God don't forgive me. God don't this. God's saying, just take the pill. I already gave it to you. It's free. I, I'm, I already gave you everything you need to walk around in this pollen, in this sinful world, in this world that hates you and takes advantage of you. I already gave you your pill, but you're walking around guilty all day. Feeling like God can't do it, and he already did. Watch the next contrast, because it gets better. He says this, in justification of life to all men. Just, just stay on that word. Is that he's saying, I took the penalty away. I took it all by offering it all. And I acquitted you by vindicating you. But you didn't even deserve what I vindicated you from. But then it gets even better. Because my God says this, watch in verse 19. Watch our second contrast. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So we're back on Adam again. So you can go back to your guilt trip and your victimization. Adam did it. We all sinners now. But I already proved you that point that we all sinners because we were going to choose it anyways. But however, let's talk about it. That one man's disobedience, one person's disobedience. You know what the word disobedience, how many of y'all ever heard that when you was a kid? How many of y'all mama ever told you this because I want to get this off my chest? How many of y'all said delayed obedience is what? Disobedience. So if you didn't take out the trash on time, guess what it was? Disobedience. So therefore, my parents would always say, you took too long to take out the trash, therefore you're disobedient. I would say, man, I was just, we can't pause this game, Dad. They, don't, they can save games on PlayStations now. We couldn't save ours. How many of y'all old school, y'all couldn't save your game? You had to press pause and pray. <laughs> and pray your big brother wouldn't come take the remote while you did your chore. And guess who did every single time? That man. So all I wanted to do was finish my level because I knew what was going to happen. And I would do it to him, too. I ain't going to front. I'm guilty. I, I bear the verdict. I am now walking around in that shame. I'm not free from it because we don't let each other live anything down in the Canning's family. It's a rule of thumb. He still makes fun of me for liking the movie Fat Albert. Till today, he has not let me live that down. And it was a quality family movie. <laughs> Disobedience is, watch this words, a refusal, watch these words, to listen. It's delayed. Or you know what to do, and you still don't do it. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's have our Dr. Phil moment. 
How many of y'all know what to do and still don't do it? How many of y'all already know that your dating relationships and marriages would be better if you just did what God said? Just be honest. Don't, don't raise your hand. Nobody's guilty in here. How many of y'all know if you stopped looking at what you were looking at, your lust problem would not be the same? How many know if we would change our musical selections, our, what we take into our body wouldn't come out of our mouth? But that beat, though. I'm not saying all bad, you know. That's my youth pastor days. Jordan's in that lane right now. How many of us know that if we did what we were supposed to do and function with integrity, wouldn't lie at the job about what we did and what we gonna do, then God would be pleased about our work at the job. But how many of us know this and still don't do it? So yeah, we can say one man's disobedience, but we all know it's all of us in this thing. That we know what to do. I ain't gonna lie, I'll be in counseling sessions and I'll be like, they'll be like, I know. <laughs> then guess what I just do? I stare at my screen. Why? Why am I staring at my screen? Because you just said what? I know. But guess what they say next? Watch this. It's not nobody in specific. Nobody. Don't, don't judge yourself. It's everybody. But guess what they say next? But if he would. Oh, I said, wait, 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 wait. Go back. Rewind that tapes 10 seconds. And guess what I say? They say, oh, I know. Stay there. Stay there. Don't go nowhere. (laughs) Stay there. What do you know? I know I should love my wife and treat her like a weaker vessel. Oh. Oh. So So you know that. So why don't you do it? And you're like, bro, if you only knew. (laughs) If you only knew my wife. (laughs) Can I tell you something real quick? There is no excuse for your disobedience. Your disobedience, watch these words, and you ain't going to like what I'm fixing to say next. Your disobedience is whose choice? So just own it. You know what to do. You're just saying no. So while you're being disobedient, guess who was obedient? And the only reason, watch the transition, watch the contrast. The only reason you get away with your disobedience, even though you're sinning against God, is because somebody said, I'll be, it, I'll be obedient while you're disobedient. Oh, this is beautiful. Because sometimes I don't think we appreciate Jesus enough, because if he did what we did, I would delay my obedience until people love me the same. Wouldn't you? Because the same thing, picture Jesus on the counseling call next. Are you ready? I, I know. What do you know, Jesus? I know I should have died, but I'm waiting on them to love me the same way. But my Jesus said, I know, but not my will, but thy will be done. And then got beat 39 times with a cat of nine tails and then put the crown of thorns on his head, and then took the nails and pierced his wrist. Also, he can say, one act of obedience for my disobedient children. Do you get that? 
Because if you did, how many of us would still be the same disobedient? How many of us would be willingly saying, I ain't going to listen? How many of you ever seen your mama struggle? In this, in this sanctuary, if I say, how many of you ever seen your mama struggle? How many of you ever seen her try to bring groceries in on her own? How many of us in our maturity, guess what we do? We run to where she is and we take all them nasty little plastic bags out them fingers that are engraving into her hands. Why? Because we mature enough to know that you don't deserve to walk in this house like that. But how can we see Jesus in the piercings in his wrist and know that us not honoring that and say, Jesus, let me run to where you are and be obedient. You know what that means? You're not mature enough. Because there's no way you can see his sacrifice and his obedience and say, nah, it ain't me. Me running to him means I have to change my day. How many of us are willing to change your day, your attitude, your emotions, your feelings, your flesh, your sex, your lust? Do I need to keep going? Your mouth, your soul. How many of us say it's too convenient? But watch what the word obedience means. Through one man's disobedience, we were all made. Watch these words. You were made into a state of sin. Mm. That means you couldn't get out of it. But then he had to break that. Because guess what you couldn't do? You couldn't obey in the first place, even if you wanted to. But then he had to break that power. Because you were in a state of sin. You were all made a sinner. That means that's who you were. You know what I have to tell you right now theologically? Stop saying, I am a sinner. You are no longer a sinner once you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You are a saint who sins. Hear this out. Because Jesus took the state of you being in sin and captured in sin. He took it away and then gave you what? Sainthood. You're just now a saint who chooses to sin. If you get that right and you know your theology right, then be like, Dag, then why do I keep doing what I don't want to do? Then you go back to Romans and you find out that we shouldn't do what we want to do. But then it says one man's obedience was a righteous act. He keeps saying this word righteous. Have you noticed? And if you were doing your exegetical frames, guess what you would stop and focus on? The fact that he keeps saying, I was righteous while people were unrighteous. I was doing, I was making things right when everything was wrong. So let's stop and let's focus just for two seconds. What are you not allowing Jesus to make right in your life? This is important. What area of your life are you saying, Jesus, I'm not going to give it to you to make it right? Because if you do, I don't get what I want. So I'd rather be in unrighteousness than righteousness because I know the moment you take over, you can only do righteousness. So how I walk in this house and treat my wife, even though if she ain't treating me right, I ain't down for that. I'll choose unrighteousness today. Let's go back into silent treatment. Let's go back to walking past each other. Let's go back to short text messages knowing you know he knows you mad. Let's go back to lengthy paragraphs where you know he can't finish because he can't read that long. But my God says, while you were willing, I just, let me stop there. So I want you to stop and I want you to meditate for two seconds and say, what 
area in my life where I'm not letting God be righteous for me. So stop. Sometimes preachers are in such a rush to fill empty gaps and silences, and I'm not. So I'm going to let you think, because when my God takes over, righteous things happen. Now, how do you know if God is involved then? If there's a righteous outcome. Hear me out. This is going to get better. If God is involved, guess what happens? Righteousness. So anytime in your life unrighteousness is the result, then guess what was involved? Unrighteousness. The only time when God gets involved, guess what happens? Righteousness occurs. So therefore, but watch what I'm fixing to say. I'm fixing to split a hair. Just because, hear me out, it's not favorable does not mean it's not righteous. You know why some of us stop doing righteous acts? It's because when we do the righteous act, we don't get the results we want. We stop loving our wives because she hasn't changed yet. We stop loving our husbands. We stop living in singleness and purity because we stop being content in all circumstances because I ain't been rich yet. We stop coming to church because I ain't been blessed yet. And God is saying, just because I'm righteous and I, treat, I tell you to live righteously doesn't mean it becomes favorable. Righteous just means you're honoring me with the life and you're doing what is right. And if you're doing what is right, you know your reward may not be on earth, but it may be on heaven. So you just wait patiently as you do what is right. But if I'm involved, it changes you. So how in the world can we read this verse and not say, man, P, you right. Those two minutes you gave me to meditate on righteousness versus unrighteousness, these are five areas in my life where I let unrighteousness take over. Second, this one righteous act only done by Jesus Christ. He said, you were made righteous. You were vindicated and acquitted. So I take my Jesus as he bent over the pole and they wrapped his arms to where he couldn't escape, not that he wanted to. And they made sure that his back was spread out. And they made sure that not only it was spread out, they tried to tighten it because they wanted his flesh to be tight. So that when the glass goes in and they drug it across his back. So when the rocks would hit, it would soften the flesh, even though they made it tight. And then after they put the glass in, they would drag it. They didn't whip him. They tortured him. So while his blood would splatter all over the place, he's saying, that is me acquitting you of your sin because there had to be a sacrifice. So I want you to notice that when they took the nail and they put it in his wrist right here and they hit those vessels, when the blood splattered, it was him saying, you're acquitted because there had to be a sacrifice. So when you're saying, Pierre, I choose disobedience, you're choosing to say, I see your sacrifice and I raise it with sin. How could you? That's why you wonder why God says you're cheating on me because I bought you with a price. It's weird, right? That we stand at altars and make vows only to break them. But what does that really mean? That when I stood here and took a vow, I didn't take it serious. And I allowed my emotions to erase the vow that I said what? In sickness and in till death do us so therefore, if that vow meant something, guess what you would be afraid to do? Break it. 
But then many of us look at the same ring that Jesus put on your finger when he died on the cross for your sins. And we say, it's not sickness and health, God. It's only when I'm healthy. It's not riches or poor. It's only when I'm rich. So he said that wasn't a vow in the first place. You only wanted me when I was good. But the last time I checked, when I died on the cross, I was good already. Because there's no good thing that can't take away your sin. But then he gives his last portion, and this is where I have to close you out. It says the law came in so that the transgressions would increase. This is a complicated text. And I want to get theological with you for a minute. If you don't bear with me, I promise you we're going to be on time. Why? Because I'm watching it. He said there was a law that only made sin increase. So if we, if Jesus didn't die, we would still be under the what? The law. But when Jesus died, he took away the sacrificial elements of the law. So therefore, what he's saying is that law made sin increase. But did it really make it increase or did it make it visible? Watch what I'm fixing to say for a second. When you walk outside and you have allergies, some of us are glad because we get to wear masks and we don't look dumb. Why? Because now we don't have to sniff in the pollen, but we can walk around like everybody else. We look normal. But when I would cut the grass, guess what I would wear? A mask. I looked like I was robbing my own house. Why? Because the pollen made me what? Put on something because the pollen was visible to me. And since the pollen I knew was there, I had to put on something. God said, I gave you the mask so that you would know that I can reveal the fact that sin is everywhere around you. When you walk outside, you're going to have to put on something and you're going to notice how visible the sin is. But when I give you grace, which we'll talk about in a second, I'm letting you take your mask off. Hear me out. So therefore, I guess what I'm trying to get you to understand is that the law made them notice the sin, but it couldn't take it away. Hear me out. The medicine makes you take the mask off without repercussion. But if you chose the law, guess what happens? You notice the sin. So guess what? When you notice the sin, guess what you do? You make a choice. And if you make a choice, many of us, now let's get a little deeper for a second. If you know what you don't, if you know what you shouldn't do, how many of us make it tempting? It's the second part of this increasing part you have to pay attention to. Not only do you notice the sin is there, that means therefore it increases because how many laws made the sin increase or made the law or sin increase? But then the second portion of this beautiful passage is saying what? When you see it, some of us want it. And how do we track this back? All the way back to who? Adam and Eve. And if you want to get gender specific at that time, Satan tempted Eve. So guess what? She saw that it was good. And she saw that she couldn't have it. So it made her sin or it made her free will choose to sin. How many of us, when we see something we can't have, it makes us want it more? Bear with me. No offense, singles. Let me stay with you for a second. When you see a man you know you ain't supposed to have or a woman you're not supposed to have and you have swiped through her pictures to make sure you can't have it. Now, this is only for my millennials. And then you read her profile, and then you read the description under the picture to make sure she doesn't say, in Jesus' name, under the thirst trap. 
just to give yourself excuse to look at the thirst trap. It got real quiet. All my guys are like, it makes you what? Increase because you know that wanting her is lust. So it only picks up the temperature. When I say, hey, we should have, wait to have sex until we're married, guess what? It picks up the temperature. It makes you want it more. I shouldn't say this. But when you get married, and it is with the law, Doesn't that weird, enticing, I shouldn't do this moment goes away? That's the best way to put it. I'm leaving it on the table. You can eat it if you want. I got one for you. This will not include that element because I won't get in trouble. I have to be careful with my younger generation. Second, how many of you, when you're hungry, hear me? This is going for everybody, not gender specific, so that I don't get in trouble. When you hungry, we have this thing called what? Hangry. I'm not saying this is gender specific. I'm just saying it might be specific to my wife. <laughs> we went to celebrate our 21 year dating anniversary. That means we've been dating since high school. It's been 21 years as of April 15th. My wife, my parents watched the kids. We went out to a restaurant we can't afford. That's what we do. And then we graze the menu only to find things what? You're hoping you can afford. How many of y'all done that? We're like, I see that sea bass for 60. Can I get them chicken strips though? Knowing chicken strips can't get fancy. You know chicken strips can't get fancy. Like, you know they ain't gonna do nothing extra with chicken strips, but you're like, I'm at that expensive restaurant though. <laughs> but while you on the way to get the food, guess what happens? The anticipation grows, doesn't it? How many of you ever went to a grocery store hungry? And then all of a sudden, you want to buy things you ain't never want. You're like, mmm, spam sounds good. <laughs> Haven't had a spam sandwich since I was six. Some of us on a diet right now, like me. When you hungry, McDonald's, you be like, ooh, I haven't had a saturated fat sandwich in so long. <laughs> ooh, I can't wait to have saturated fat. I can't wait to have that meat that you could put on the counter and it lasts for six months. I know that's real. You start making excuses for McDonald's, you're like, at least I know it's going to last. <laughs> Why? Because you hungry. What the law said is that you hungry. And since I see your appetite for sin, I'm going to let you know it's a sin. And since I let you know you have an appetite for sin and then I tell you what sin is, guess what you want to do? Eat your saturated fat. So some of us have been driving past drive throughs when we're full of the Holy Spirit. We don't want the saturated fat. But when you hungry, though. So what God says, watch this next part in the verse, and this is where we got to close because this is where the beautiful scripture comes into play. I took that away from you. Oh, watch how he does it. But where sin increased, watch this, grace abounded even the more. Live in this. There's no guilty when you get grace. But let me define grace Grace is my God giving you what you don't deserve. 
Better yet, let me say it in some really eloquent words, grace is when one grants to another an action who volunteers it and is not obligated to give it to you. That means my Jesus volunteered his death even when he wasn't obligated to give it to you. That means there's no church service you can attend, no matter how holy we present living word, that was going to give you this grace. That means there was no act that you could do. There was no best husband of the year award that would get you this grace. The only way for you to get this grace was through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. And he wasn't even obligated, but for some reason he died for it. So when you get this grace, you should say, wow, God, there is nothing I can do to get what you're giving. Therefore, I love you even more. What he was hoping for, what I hope happens, is that when you see the grace abound, your love abounds as well. When you see the fact that you didn't deserve it, when you woke up this morning after drinking last night, when you went out and did something, you probably said, Pierre, I don't want to tell you what happened. And you say, but God's grace abounds. That makes you stand and worship. That makes you yell. That makes you get excited. That makes you listen. Because not because we obligate you to, because my Jesus wasn't obligated to. And since he wasn't obligated to do anything and still did it, his hope is since you're not obligated to do it, but you received it, guess what you get? An unobligated worship. An unobligated adoration for our Jesus Christ. An unadulterated obedience to him because he said, I'll give you something you're not, I wasn't obligated to give you. And since I'm going to do that, why wouldn't you? See, the gospel means so much more when you define it. And it doesn't wait till Easter. That's an everyday lifestyle. When you wake up realizing that's grace, when you realize the word abounds means on a scale, it's great. And watch these words in excess. That means his grace is sufficient for you. That means when you caught the attitude we talked about in the first two verses, he's saying my grace is sufficient for that too. When you cussed out that person in your mind but not out your mouth, my grace is sufficient for that too. When you went home and did what you weren't supposed to do as a husband and you know your phone, if I flip through your history, isn't pretty, God's saying my grace is sufficient for that too. When you know you single but you dibbling and dabbling, my grace is sufficient for that too. And preachers don't want to preach about grace because it thinks it gives you free will to sin. But my God's saying, preach about how good I am and maybe they'll turn their minds. So welcome to free will, ladies and gentlemen, but also welcome to grace. However, watch what I'm fixing to say next. Grace doesn't mean there ain't discipline. Oh, this is good because I can preach about grace, but I got to also preach that even discipline is love. Even you being disciplined is his grace. Why? Because you deserve the next word that comes out of the mouth, which is called death. So even in your life not being perfect because you made some mistakes and you say, Pierre preached about grace. Why is my life so messed up? It doesn't mean you don't suffer the consequences of your decisions. It just means you have a life given so that God can help build righteousness in you to correct your mistakes. So watch this. You should be jumping for joy because every day you wake up, it's an opportunity to live in grace to fix the mistakes you made. Or better yet, let me fix that. It's for Jesus to fix the mistakes through him and all the things you've done, he's still willing to fix them. You don't even have to fix them if you live with him. My Jesus is saying every day you wake up, it's an opportunity 
But some of us wake up saying this ain't the best day. And I'm like, it's a great day. The moment you woke up, it was a good day. You know, some of us live in negativity. Like we, we live in negativity. Not realizing that every morning is grace. We wake up, look at our husband like, mm, he's still here. And I'm like, I'm like, you still here too? We both made it through our snoring. Because <laughs> grace abounded for both of us. <laughs> or you may wake up and say, he ain't here. Maybe I should fill that hole, that pillow, that coldness. And God's saying, my grace abounds for that too. Mm. He said, where death reigned, but then he says something else. And I got to close. So that as sin reigned in death, even so, grace would reign through righteousness. You know what the word reign means? To have authority. So before you got saved, if you're not saved today, sin will always reign and lead to death. That's what it does. I can't hide that from you. Everyone in this room, if you are saved, knew some of us were on the path of destruction to death. But then my Jesus gave you this grace, and he took away the authority, but then gave you another authority. This authority leads you to eternal life. This authority means that something else ain't reigning over you no more. You are not obligated to do anything. So... I say this and I say this nicely. Stop blaming Satan for something you choose. That was your choice. Satan, only thing he could do was put temptation in front of you. You have to grab it. He can only twist the words, Eve, watch this. Eve, pick the fruit. God's the only thing he doesn't want from you. He doesn't want you to be as good as him. He can only. So guess what he kept, keeps, Satan keeps doing and y'all keep blaming him for? He just says, hey, here's a guy. I know you're single. I know you're lonely. Here's a guy. He can't make the guy go into your life. You have to pick up the phone. We have to text back. It's your choice. But the, sin, the life that God gave you, it reigns and it reigns well. It has the authority. But watch these last things. If you understand what God has given you, the righteousness that he keeps referring to, it gives you this thing that many of us hopefully dwell on. It's called eternal life. I never realized the beauty of that until COVID hit and how many funerals we have to do in a year. There's a beauty of preaching a sermon knowing that that person received eternal life, though. It's still hard to preach it. But I know where they're going because death doesn't reign on them anymore. Eternal life in heaven does. Eternal separation from God doesn't reign anymore. And that's what makes you question why we're not doing Easter evangelism every day of our lives. We go to work so people can experience what it feels like not for death to reign on their mortal bodies. How come we're not more aggressive in our evangelism when we know the only way they can experience God for the rest of their life? Why are we not sharing this gospel? We got cousins who ain't saved. We got people in our life that ain't saved. We walk around like, yeah, y'all get it. No, they need grace too so they don't have to suffer. Hmm. The last thing about allergies, it's going to sound silly because it's going to mess up my illustration, but bear with me. I had to take allergy shots. And one of my allergy shots made me have an allergic reaction. That'll let you know how bad my allergy is that even the shot gives me allergies. 
So my whole, my neck starts to swell up and turn red, and I know it's hard to see on a, my dark-skinned, chocolate-flavored body. <laughs> but you can see it. Dark skins are in. Sorry. Sorry, Paul, you made it. You made it in the 90s. But my wife looks at me, and she's like, ooh, you need to go to the doctor. I said, ooh, I'm just glad you're looking at me. But when I get to the doctor, they were like, hey, where is your EpiPen? I was like, uh-oh, we drove my wife's car. She took me here. I'm sorry. She was like, no worries, and she pulls open a drawer. She takes this long needle, and she shoves it into my thigh. Pow. She said, she said you're going to start to feel an adrenaline rush all over your body. I said, I needed some energy. That's cool. She said, in about five to ten minutes, we're going to keep checking on you, making sure we're going to check your blood pressure, make sure your heart don't get too high. I said, amen, I appreciate you. But about five to ten minutes later, all the rashes all over my body started to disappear. All the itches started to disappear because they injected me with the opposite of what I was having an allergic reaction to. My prayer is that you'll accept the, re- the injection into your life today. Because when my Jesus enters into your body, all the consequences of sin and all the rashes all over your body, all the consequences of your past, everything you thought Jesus wouldn't forgive you from, watch his adrenaline rush through your body. And when Jesus starts rushing through your body and your heart rate starts to increase, you can't help but worship. You can't help but get excited because you know that grace abounded into your leg. And when the grace went into your leg, it shot up through your body and all the rashes, all the nastiness, all your past, all your histories, all the things you thought nobody could forgive you from. He said, my grace abounds. And on top of that, watch what they did next. On top of giving me the thing, they said, you're going to have to take some allergy pills too. They shoved them jokers down my throat and said, take these. And all of a sudden, I walked out 30 minutes later with no rashes, no allergies no problems. All because I said, yes, Jesus, I'll let the grace abound. So for some of us in this sanctuary right now, as we close, if you have not received this grace, welcome. I want to talk to you. So if you don't mind, as we close our service, I really want you to just bow your heads and close your eyes.